Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello and welcome to each of you who are joining us today. We appreciate you joining us at our little round table tucked away in an office at Grace Baptist Church for this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and with me today, Matt Bennett and Brandon Waltz. Matt and Brandon are with me to discuss our sermon from Tim Cockrell this past Sunday, focusing on Exodus chapter 18. Matt, Brandon, welcome, and thanks for jumping in with me today. Good to be here, Bart. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, we're looking forward to discussing a chapter that, I'll be honest with you, when I was first studying this and preparing to teach following the sermon on Sunday, a lot of the information in there, a lot of the text, it's kind of, it's not real deep in theology in some ways, but I really appreciated the way Tim dug down and not only focusing on what the encouragement from Jethro was to Moses, but also some of the underlying feelings, some of the underlying sentiments that can go on that cause the need for what Jethro was saying, you know, delegation and trusting others, developing leaders. It really hit me. And I've got to tell you, uh, I still have a couple of bruises from <laughs> one of my daughters sitting next to me as Tim was sharing some of these things. I have to listen real hard to this. <laughs> Maybe you're the same. Uh, it was convicting. <laughs> it, it really was. And I'll tell you, just to start out here, I'm struck by Moses' recounting of the events in the from the prior two to three months of the narrative there in the first 17 chapters in Exodus. He, he, he and I'm quoting here from Scripture, he said, He told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. It was evident to me. I don't see any eyes in Moses's update. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's a point that I think is something we see all throughout Moses's leadership. Something that I think is worthy of attending to is that he has a view of what God is doing among His people for the sake of His own glory. Um, it's not necessarily something that he is seeing the miracles that he was involved in or some of this deliverance as something that accrues to Moses's glory or something that makes him uh, special or unique, but rather something that further demonstrates the, the reality of the one true God who's gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the gods of the world. We're going to see that in more acute detail even on uh, Mount Sinai as the uh, the two givings of the law when in in between we see the the golden calf we see this really tested by the Lord in many ways as he says you know what Moses after this golden calf thing I'm gonna do away with the rest of these these rabble the stiff-necked folks uh, down in the valley I'm gonna start over with you and Moses's response I think as God is training him in these reflexes to see that this calling out of a people is not for the sake of the people as much as it is for the sake of God's glory, he responds by saying, no, God, don't don't bring us out in the sight of all the nations only to destroy us. Like It's for the sake of your great name that you need to maintain your allegiance to us. You're, you're walking with us and you're working out of your, your covenant promises so that people will know you are that God. And I think that's beginning here in some of Moses' articulation of what God's been doing. Well, and lest somebody thinks, well, you know, we believe Moses wrote 
the largest part of the Pentateuch, obviously not after his uh, death is recorded. Maybe that was written by somebody else, we think. But the point being that uh, some people could say, well, Moses, uh, Moses is writing this. He would cast himself in positive light. But I think we see later on in the story where Moses sort of, he throws out all his warts and, uh, and uh, in imperfections as well. So uh, we think we'd probably see a real good feel, get a real good feel from this passage that Moses is, is uh, focused on what God is doing and not what he is doing. So, you know, there's so much here as we examine not only Jethro's encouraging Moses to, Moses to delegate authority and responsibility to, to godly and capable leaders, but also we see Moses' very appropriate and honoring response. And at the root of it all, as Tim pointed out on Sunday, we see here how otherwise good and fruitful work, even that work that we call ministry, it can cause God's people to lose focus of what's most important. Brandon, Matt, I, I'm guessing that you men like I have some experience with this subject. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't uh, understate it. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. As I, it, it's, are, These are great reminders, obviously, right? Um, what's interesting to me, though, as I've kind of reflected on this is um, – there is this importance to saying no because we are constantly needing to prioritize and make sure that we're keeping first things first. But I, I don't know. I don't know about if, if you guys are similar to me, but I find myself not only needing to remind myself to say no, but also to accept no. Hmm. There, because there are a lot of times when um, – uh, or, or helping other people to accept no as well in, in leadership and in ministry because there are times when we're asking people to do other things that, uh, that, that we need to remember that they're prioritizing. They need to be prioritizing their time as well and stewarding it well. And, um, and so that's just something that I was thinking about as a result of reflecting on what Tim was saying. There are two individuals that come to my mind as I'm thinking about this, and uh, I know, Brandon, you know both of them, Matt. You know one, I believe. One used to say, uh, they're no longer here at our church, but I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. And I understand that. I understand yeah. the concept, and there's a hardworking mentality behind that. But um, that's on one side of it. I also remember a gentleman that you work with, Brandon, said mm -hmm. one day from the platform, he grew up in a pastor's home, and he said one day from the platform, probably 15, 20 years ago, said, I'm learning that sometimes I'm doing things for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it because I think God, well, if it's for God, I want to do it all the time and I want to do it. And he said, I've done that to the detriment of my wife and children. Can yeah. we talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. What comes first in our lives? Well, I'll rest when I'm dead. Sounds really good, especially to Midwestern hardworking yeah. ears. I think that is deeply ingrained. A good work ethic is, is something to be praised. Yep. But I think there's also a reason that from the very beginning, God did give us these rhythms of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. and there the was rest. a seventh day. Rest permeates some of the, the call of the Old Testament to 
honor the Lord's day, keep it holy, but it also shows up in some of what uh, the book of Hebrews talks about, entering into rest, that this this concept of of pausing and considering our limitations and the, the fact that we are not unlimited, we are not, uh, we don't have eternal capacities, we aren't the creator, we're the created. I think some of that need for rest is not uh, it's not a failure or a weakness or even evidence of a bad work ethic, but rather it's a something God built into the natural right rhythms of our of our lives to remind us we're we're created and our limitations yeah. are actually yeah. good. When we try to go beyond our limitations, uh, we're functionally saying we can do it all. <laughs> and and it. It forces us, right, as humans, to understand who we really need to do, be, be depending be, de- be depending upon. There, uh, there were a number of comments I wrote down, just things as they came to my mind as Tim was uh, was preaching on Sunday. One of those comments, just uh, very short, but it, it struck me, and boy, I thought it was really incredible that I thought of this. But no, in all seriousness, the statement I wrote down was, "Am I?" doing or am I being and I think we need to be before we do and we need to be ready I think back to James James talks about faith without works is dead works without faith is also or not also not profitable we see in other places in Scripture and so so the the second comment that I'd made here a, a few moments ago about working in the church in particular to the detriment of our families. Can we talk a little bit about what's most important in God? I mean, there is a hierarchy of responsibility that every man, every woman, every child has, is there not? Well, it's it's interesting doing this whole idea of doing and being. Um, another way to think about that is the difference between spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. Okay, do explain. So, so um, what God is doing in me versus what God is doing in and through me, there are different things. Sometimes we have a tendency as a, as a church, to be honest with you, to focus more on the doing part. I think that was part of what Tim was saying. And neglecting the being part, or even in recognizing leadership within the church, we tend to be gravitating towards, oh, we see this giftedness in this person and we elevate them and force them to the forefront based on their giftedness without really prioritizing as Tim was trying to, I think in this text, trying to get us to to grapple with. It's like no character before skill. Right. And and so and we see this time and time again where we elevate and we push people towards leadership. Uh, and they, and we, without really considering the character, the important character that needs to be behind there, and as a result, we have these ministries that implode oftentimes because you've got skilled people, very gifted people, gifted communicators, whatever, but we didn't prioritize spiritual fruit over spiritual gifts that we saw. I know that I have spoken with a number of younger people uh, and encouraged them, especially those who are high-functioning, very capable, encouraging them hey be careful because people are going to want to push you going to want to challenge you to be a leader and that's good and i think that you are going to be qualified to be that 
but you also need to be careful that they do, you don't allow them to put you up there before you're ready. And I, I can look back and, and you know, just situations in my life where it was very flattering for people to come to me and say, boy, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah. But my goodness, I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And so uh, challenging young people to be considering, okay, do I have the ducks in a row and nobody has all the ducks in a row right uh, all the time but we need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to get pushed and i think three leaders here we need to make sure we're not pushing people too far too fast mm-hmm. i think there's there's probably a host of temptations that might cause us to be drawn to giving our time and energies to more public ministry things than what ends up being the more mundane private elements of of being at home and, and pouring into discipling young ones, caring for uh, the house, uh, you know, sharing time intentionally with, uh, with a spouse. Um, those things are clearly things we'd articulate as our priorities. But I think sometimes, and this is just maybe me uh, sharing my own flesh, uh, those are the things that happen in private where nobody gives you accolades for them, right? You know, when you're playing a board game with your kids, nobody recognizes that uh, a week later and says, man, that really just blessed my heart. But if you're up on stage or if you're in a place where you're having some influence, uh, you may have some people come and kind of scratch your ego. And there is a sense in which sometimes practically uh, it can be our flesh driving us to more public ministry places uh, for the sake of being affirmed and, um, and and having some of those accolades given to us in a more public fashion. And I think, uh, I think it's, it's right for us to pause and make sure that we're taking regular assessment of where are our priorities, where are the resources that we have that are limited in time and energy and attention, and are we giving them according to those proper priorities. Well, and and that's probably uh, just thread that in with uh, something I wanted to share. I think there's a point here that we can discuss, and and that there is the need in the church for more Jethro's, right? Uh, people who will, in love, speak into leaders' lives, challenge them to do better in the way they minister. Sometimes that Jethro is also a wife or a husband. Sometimes they're a parent or a grandparent. Sometimes they're just somebody who has seen something who is spiritually mature who can speak into a Brandon or a Bart or a Matt's life and say hey have you considered and we all need to have those and frankly we all need to be those would you not agree yeah absolutely I mean you need people speaking gospel truth into your life continually Um, and so to have it's a it's a gift to have somebody who's willing to to risk saying that important but difficult thing in your life to in order to help you navigate something that maybe you might be fairly unaware of in the moment and so it's it's well they need me though (laughs) (laughs) this situation needs my touch and there are some times we have to stretch ourselves i mean we've all been there i know all three of us have been there even recently where we've had to really intensively deal with some things that uh, may be fun or not fun but they needed our attention but still we do need those people in our lives and and isn't it interesting that this admonition came from somebody outside of that covenant relationship with with uh, Moses really I want to say maybe the first time we've seen this 
uh, in certainly in Exodus where somebody from outside the the covenant mm-hmm. again, has spoken in. I would have expected it differently. I would have expected somebody else from within the, the family of Israel or the nation of Israel to come. But uh, God uses a Midianite, a, man, a member of mm-hmm. Moses' family, but yet a Midianite. And we're not even sure, as Tim said, what his... What his, you know, relationship, if we can call that, with Yahweh was at that time. So yeah, I think, regardless of of some of that, I think it's important for us to have those intentional friendships yeah. and uh, deep enough relationships where you can sit down with somebody and they can say, "Hey, why are you doing that?" Um, maybe peel back the layers of motivations and say, "Are you doing that for the right motivations, or is that robbing robbing you of the 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 most important things? Is it one of those?" good things you've invested in that ends up being the enemy of the best. Um, I just turned 40 this year and uh, had a good friend, <laughs> had a good friend uh, that, you know, we sat down and uh, just basically picked apart each other's lives and said, where are we investing our resources of time, of energy and attention? Um, because we, uh, we both tend to be uh, people pleasers who want to say yes to everything that comes along. But those yeses, as much as it feels nice in the moment um, or feels kind and thoughtful, can oftentimes uh, mm. mean that you're saying no to something else, as Tim mentioned. And I think taking a, a thick assessment, not only personally, but by inviting other people into uh, assessing our, our resources and our, our time management and inattention management, I think is an important rhythm for uh, living according to the priorities we say we have. And Tim mentioned it. I mean, it, it, good friends like that can also help you identify idols of the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a real gift as well mm-hmm. to, for people to be able to have... Um, to give people the freedom to be able to speak truth in that way to your to your life and to be able to help you understand maybe those things that um, that push you off center um, in the direction where you need to be heading uh, and that's that's a gift and I can remember one individual uh, one guest on our podcast here about a year or a little more than a year ago sitting right where you're sitting Brandon who said you know I took this a step further I asked my young son what do I need to do better? Mm-hmm. And he said, he told me. Mm-hmm. And he said, it wasn't easy to hear. Mm-hmm. So are we asking those over whom we have responsibility, our children? Uh, are we ha- asking those who, with whom we're in partnership, whether it's business or otherwise, like our wives or our husbands? Are we asking them and are we willing to hear the results? Uh, well, let's move on. This is getting a little too close here. Uh, hey, Tim mentioned isolated leadership, and, and Matt, that wasn't in a favorable light uh, when he mentioned that. He said, I remember one of the management and leadership authors in Christian circles. Now, you said you're 40, so you probably haven't read this guy as much, but I'll tell you, John Maxwell in past decades, he was, uh, I think, from a Wesleyan background, perhaps, but he taught that one of the godly leader's most important tasks is to train his replacement or replacements in such a way that when he, the leader, moves on, passes the baton, things actually get better. And I think I think there's some real good scriptural precedents for these comments, don't you think? Yeah, I think those are good leadership principles in general, but I think uh, uh, oftentimes when we look at some of the models that maybe we've implicitly adopted for how to build the church, they look a lot more like companies than they do. CEOs. Yeah, they look a lot more like that than they do what we see in scripture, whereas 
what we saw this last week, what we see all throughout the New Testament is this encouragement of those who are entrusted with leadership to be multiplying themselves in the lives of others, whether that's something like Second Timothy 2.2, where Paul mm-hmm. instructs Timothy to take what he has received and to pass it on to faithful people with the eye that they will pass it on to others. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's not this sense of building up a kingdom for one individual person, but rather expanding and multiplying the kingdom by means of raising other people people up. One of the pastors that I um, sat under for several years during seminary uh, made the comment that early on in his ministry, somebody challenged him to say, you know, as you're looking around, you're going to have the temptation with all of your gifts to be able to say, well, I can do this particular thing the best, so I'm going to do it myself. As you mature, you're going to have to start saying, well, who around me could do this at 75% of what uh, I could do? And this was, you know, five or ten years into his ministry, he said, I'm down to 50%. And that Hmm. wasn't because of a vision of just having so many things that he needed to do that he was offloading or distilling the the need for excellence in those things. But rather it was because he was uh, absorbing a vision for saying, well, how else are people going to learn the skills to raise up in ministry and be multiplied and be effective than if they're given opportunity. And so I want to have my uh, my role as a pastor or as a leader being something that's gathering people and giving them opportunity to develop those ministry muscles and then sending them out in multiple forms so as to multiply myself rather than to uh, isolate myself. And I imagine the 25-year-old Matt and the 25-year-old Brandon were probably that 75 or 85% guy. Mm. Wouldn't you agree? Mm. And God has has developed uh, each of us. Uh, We've had opportunities. And uh, so let's move into that. We were talking about leaders. Um, uh, Tim brought up two passages in particular first peter chapter 5 addressed specifically to elders and then of course uh, hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 i want to read that here this is addressed to really to the church the writer of hebrews whoever it was says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you now this goes for elders who are to take into account and and obey the the guidance or to submit to the guidance of other elders but also non-elders it's really an against-the-grain command for all of us, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not something we automatically take to. Hmm. No. I mean, submit is a dirty word, right? <laughs> it sure is. It's, it's a six-letter word. You know, those are. More of a cuss word than, than any of the <laughs> right. ones we're more familiar with these days. Uh, because uh, submission requires vulnerability, and it requires trust. And we have any number of anecdotal anecdotal. Uh, stories that we could appeal to to show where trust indiscriminately indiscriminately offered to someone ends up in an abuse of that vulnerability and so the message throughout our culture is make sure you've got yours and make sure that you are secure and don't give to anybody power or something over you that could end up taking uh, exploiting some of your vulnerability and that's a unfortunately a a true reality that you can look around and you can see abuses of power and that can cause a callousing of your heart and a 
unwillingness to trust. Um, and if you can't trust, you can't submit. And so I think that uh, this really is a countercultural command at all times. But even in other places like Ephesians uh, 5, where it talks to husbands and, and wives about this idea of submission um, uh, of wives to husbands, it always is in the context of a, a mutual concern for one another. Because as soon as uh, the, hus- the wife is called to submit to the husband, the husband is called to take on the perspective of Christ and to die to himself in order to serve his wife. Just before that section, it talks to brothers and sisters in the church and says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so uh, this idea of submitting to leaders within the church and within a biblical set of parameters is an invitation to being vulnerable. And it is a it does require a, a level of trust, but it's a trust in God who is directing by means of his people, the organization of the community of people who are seeking to work out the gospel and its implications in unity together. And we will sin against each other. We will fail one another. But in a context in which we've all received forgiveness and have extended it as a result, Hopefully, there can be a, a deepening sense of the, the trust and reliance, not in an individual, but in the God who is working through a community of individuals to accomplish his purposes. Well, it speaks to me of the <clears throat> those two commandments that both in the Old Testament and the New are brought out. This is the crux of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments and love your neighbors yourself on these two commandments hang the entire law and prophets if we have that in mind if the focus is off of us is what you're saying then and, and that goes to you know I, I said one of my comments that i just jotted down to myself uh, was related to whether am i doing or am i being another of those comments i wrote down was Am I too focused on my ministry mm-hmm. and tim tim discussed that uh, at some length he said hey to the extent that what I am doing has become my ministry. My focus is way off. It's God's ministry. And am I willing to let it go? And it goes right to the heart of what a leader is, right? I mean, a Christian leader. I mean, leader, Christian leadership is about stewardship. Mm-hmm. So it's not about us building our kingdom as leaders, but it's about us caring for what God has entrusted to us as leaders. Most significantly, the people that we've been called to serve, and so if we're stewarding well, we're we're trying to help these individuals grow in their relationship with Jesus. So the word legacy, my legacy, really shouldn't attend these conversations. I'm thinking, <laughs> and we'll let God decide what what effect we've had or He's had through us and in us. Okay, so the three of us. We interact regularly as elders here at our church, Grace Baptist Church. And you and I know that, especially in a larger church like ours, there there can be a tendency for members to feel unneeded, unappreciated. Uh, First of all, can you encourage someone who's experiencing those feelings, how they might get more active, how they might be better used, uh, using their giftedness for the benefit of the church? Yeah, I, um, I think that 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 when people see a need, it resonates with them. 
they see something, they're, you know, they're we're in community, they're looking around. Um, when they see a need, I would just encourage them to to take a risk and to pursue that, to ask questions. It's like, hey, is, do you need any help in this area? Um, is there any way that I can serve you, if I, that I can serve the church? Um, I think part of it is just the risk involved with just stepping out and just engaging with people. Um, but I understand, I, you know, I definitely understand, you know, how there could be these feelings of uh, unappreciated or uh, I, I don't know what the other, what was the other thing that you said, uh, unneeded. Um, but we, but the truth is the, that we very much need everyone serving. And the other important thing to remember, again, talking about spiritual gifts, is that God has uniquely equipped them in some form to serve the body. Um, and so they need to be looking for, I would just encourage people to take a risk and look for ways that that feels like to them that it resonates with their heart at some, in some way that they can potentially be serving the, the church. And, um, and I think that would be helpful. I think that goes back to some of your questions of what is our model or view of leadership as well, because you can be a leader who does all the ministry at the top for people underneath you mm-hmm. and kind of be that CEO, or you can be a leader who is actively engaged in the lives of the community, recognizing that this is a body in which each one of the parts plays a role, and some of that leadership is actually calling people to do just what Brandon was saying, to recognize giftings, not in isolation or taking some internet test uh, that gives them uh, an answer at the end of filling out a bunch of objective questions as to what what your personality or gift is, but rather in community, having people know one another deeply enough to be able to say, you know what, like you just you ooze hospitality and that's something that we need and i want to affirm that but i also want to point out a few places in our church where that could be a gift that you could really steward well and you could pour that out into our community or man you have an evangelistic heart can i pair you up with uh, with someone else and can you help us think through what does it look like for us to have a a gospel impact on the community around us can you lead out in that actually empowering and calling people out as uniquely gifted members of the body as part of that leadership role. And it's true that that leaders need to be proactive in seeking after people, but people do need to to take that step, as you said, Brandon, take Mm -hmm. a chance. Um, I I would suggest that the things that most churches need more than anything is not more people on the platform, not more people teaching. Most churches. Now, there are some who maybe need some better, (laughs) different uh, teachers. But the point is, I would suggest that we probably need more note writers. I've taken to writing notes, handwritten notes, and actually mailing them through the United States Postal Service. (laughs) Wow, what what an archaic concept. Do you know how many times I get a comment? And it's not, thanks for your note. It's, wow, thanks for your handwritten note. They actually say, thanks for your handwritten note. And it's become a habit, but people appreciate that. It actually shows, it, it's doing something a little different. 
It's building in uh, notes of encouragement, phone calls. Um, you know, I know when Sandy and I first came here, we were looking for something to do. And again, everything was, this has been 27, eight years ago, but everything was taken up, mm -hmm. or so we thought. So he said, what do we, you need? He said, well, we could use somebody standing at the door in the morning. Mm -hmm. And, if you know, my wife, that wasn't her strength necessarily. She didn't feel like it was. But she got to know people. People got mm -hmm. to know her. And I was able to use my little more outgoing gifts to just welcome people in. And it just opened up so many opportunities. Looking for maybe where you know that you're gifted and just doing it. Mm -hmm. And not waiting for somebody to ask you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Standing out in the foyer. Saying hi to everybody that comes by. And I think that just goes to a thicker vision of the church that the Bible puts out that contradicts some of the way that maybe we've come to think of the church as primarily what happens in a building from right. a platform, you know, and we have identified ministry roles that if those are all filled, we think, well, ministry doesn't need to be done by me, right. as opposed to saying, no, we are a church that does gather, and yes, there are some specific elements that need to be filled and gifts that need to be employed in order to make this gathering work, but we're also a church as we scatter. And so my mm -hmm. ministry might be that encouragement as I walk the neighborhood pushing a stroller, or it might be uh, my ministry of gathering a couple guys that are co-workers at the base uh, to spend a little bit of time praying and thinking, who are we rubbing shoulders with that we could be a positive influence on for the gospel? Um, and thinking in terms of our ministry, our church ministry, as something that isn't just a one-day-a-week thing. Well, Matt, you, you opened the door in a previous comment, so I'm going to walk through it here as we get ready to close. Um, you said leaders do need to reach out, and that's, mm -hmm. that's what I said earlier, certainly not to absolve leaders of that responsibility. But again, as three elders here, uh, let's talk a little bit briefly. What are some things that we need to be doing better hmm. any of us leaders and whether they're elders deacons other ministry leaders teachers whatever they might be uh, somebody who's greeting what do we need to be doing better in our church let's start there or any church to involve and engage the body yeah well I think uh, having a vision beyond just what grace is currently or what ministries grace has going on and not just being content with saying what we are doing is working and instead saying how do we as brandon said how do we steward all of the resources that god has dumped in this place in terms of finances in terms of geography in terms of uh, human resources and giftedness and what would it look like for us to really have a faithful presence in this community with a vision for saying, are there other communities either adjacent to us or that the Lord is putting in our lap that might be farther from us that could stand to benefit from the intentional and strategic deployment of some of the gifts that we have? I think we do that very well in terms of some of our work internationally, but I do think uh, we could we could stand to lead well in thinking what does it mean for us to be a missional body that's not content with just being plateaued and having things running as they are but rather trying to say lord what would you have us do with what you've entrusted to us the other thing is i mean your question was what can leaders do but the other beautiful thing about this is that this is not thankfully not just a leader thing the whole church can be involved in this so as 
you are serving um, or you're observing rather uh, like this a teen who you notice that they're really good with kids you as a church member going to that teen and saying you know you're really good with kids have you ever thought about serving in children's ministry how many careers have been started exactly that way? yeah that's exactly mm-hmm. right and so thankfully it's not just like i said it's not just a, a leader thing but it's a church-wide thing where we can be observing each other be uh, pressing towards helping other people think catch a vision of what of what maybe god is how he has gifted them at least some of the initial you know um hints of that in a person's life and then and then ex- in expressing that to them and that expression like you said bart that expression can be uh i mean it's hard to it's hard to understand what se- what that seed might actually plant in a person's heart and life and what they might do with that i i, I think back uh, dl moody has talked about the gentleman who introduced him to christ as i recall he was a shoe salesman or uh, Moody, and the, but the person, cobbler. the person who a cobbler, and mm-hmm. the person who introduced him was a nobody who would have been lost to the annals of history mm-hmm. had Moody not shared his name. But he was nothing special, as the world says. But he, he was faithful, mm-hmm. and he shared the gospel mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, guys, we've run far afield in this uh, discussion on Exodus chapter eighteen. But thank you for joining with me and and sharing in this conversation. I appreciate your insights. Thank you, thank you, Barton. Well, I've been pleased today to be with Matt Bennett and Brandon Waltz. They've been my guests for this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing our recent sermon from Exodus chapters 18, and you can access Grace sermons and podcast episodes, today's and all the way back through the past 75. I just counted them the other day, guys. 75 episodes we're up to. You can get to them on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word in Exodus chapter 19. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.